Hello and welcome to In Bed with Neil Moody, with me, your host, Neil Moody. This episode is part two of my interview with the wonderful Oscar-nominated costume designer and fashion stylist, Ariane Phillips. In this episode, Ariane talks about being nominated for awards, especially the Oscars, plus her support to sustainability and onwards. The People versus Larry Flink was probably your, the, the film that really got you into Hollywood, I guess, isn't it, for... Which, do you know what I have to tell you? And I've, I've said this before. Um, I'm obsessed. You know, I'm obsessed with Hollywood. <laughs> no, I didn't I, know you're obsessed with Hollywood, but I'm learning. Yeah. What are you obsessed I, with? What about Hollywood? Just what it represents. Because when I used to come when I was young, when I first moved to New York, I'd never been to L.A. before. And then I remember going to L.A. and getting off the plane and seeing the Hollywood sign and being so like overwhelmed by the fact that I'd seen this sign that I'd only ever seen in movies and you almost kind of think it doesn't really exist do you know what I mean like you kind of think it's a sign that's not really there and I get so excited now when I come to LA every time I I mean it's a little bit I guess it's a bit like people coming to England and seeing Buckingham Palace in a way (laughs) it's that like oh my god I'm in Hollywood you know and I think because as a kid it was so just seems so unattainable to ever go there, be there, see it. You know, I um, my upbringing was very. You know, my parents didn't have a lot of money; they were working class, and we we never. I never travelled. I never got on a plane till I was twenty one years old. Wow! So, you know, I'd not. I'd never left the country before until then. So, yeah, it's it gives me a bit of a funny feeling in my stomach when I come to LA. Oh. So, um, <laughs> Well, I think it's important to keep that like alive, you know, just to the appreciation. I mean, we are, we have, are exposed in this industry and these industries to so much privilege. So I think the fact that you have that it makes you happy is really fantastic. Mm. I've spent so much time in London now over the years working. Every time I'm there, I still feel like the 19-year-old of, like, this is <laughs> ground zero for cool. Like, this is where it yeah. all happens. And it's funny because I've I noticed as well that even as we've been talking, it's like you seem to get connected very much with British people, don't you, in your mm-hmm. career? Like, it seems to happen a lot. Obviously, going through some of the films that you've worked on, you know, like the Kingsman movies, which obviously was a very British thing. The fact that you then went on to create a collection with Mr. Porter through that. And also, I noted, which I didn't realise this, was that, you know, Marnie, the opera that yeah. you worked on, and I'm slightly jumping here time-wise... It was a, it it just had two, it had two openings. It opened at the English National Opera at the ENO. And then a year later, um, it was a co-production with the Metropolitan Opera in New York. So it had a, uh, we relaunched it in New York with a whole nother cast a year later. That's right. Because I remember coming to the one in London. Which you invited me to, but it was written by Winston Graham, wasn't it? The British British writer. Yeah. Yeah. Who actually, I didn't realize until looking it up recently that he wrote Poldark stories, you know, which is actually probably more here in Britain than in the US. Huge 
TV show that mm. was made in the 70s and then it's been remade recently and it's had like a another run of success in its remake. Well, one thing that I would say, um, not to interrupt you, is that that is really true and that's not by chance, it's by choice. So for instance, Tank Girl, which was my mm. second film or my third film, I was excited about it because I knew it was an English graphic novel. It had a lot of pop culture reference in it and a lot of music reference. I did that film, the creator of Tank Girl, who created the artist, Jamie Hewlett, I met on the set. He didn't direct it or anything, but he came to visit the set and he was uh, this really cool young English guy and his girlfriend, Jane, came out to visit the set. This is in like nine, this before Larry Flint, like 93, 94. At that time, Jamie was living in Worthing in South England. He had this really awesome group of friends. I went to visit them after I met them on the set. We got along really well. There's some other people who were friends of Jamie's, who were also helping him out on the comic, who came and visited the set and I became friends with. And then I went and visited them and it was like at the early part of kind of the Britpop scene in London. And all of a sudden I found myself in the middle of this group of really creative people who I had a lot in common with and who are to this day some of my closest friends it's quite a big group of them i spent a few christmases uh with them in the in the mid 90s and and then you know my work with madonna at that time she was spending quite a lot of time in london so we did a lot of work with her in london did you do a guy Ritchie film as well yeah yeah guy directed a movie when they were married um which was actually my connection to kingsman ultimately um, Guy's producing partner at that time was Matthew Vaughn, who um, I met when we were making Swept Away. We weren't shooting in England, though. We were shooting in Europe. It was all British crew. Years later, uh, Matthew contacted me. when Because Matthew, after him and Guy dissolved their partnership, he was Guy's producing partner. Uh, Matthew started becoming a director, and he did Layer Cake and Kick-Ass. And um, uh, he called me. I didn't really know him because he wasn't on the set so much of Swept Away, but I certainly knew who he was. And we both got, you know, we're at Madonna and Guy's wedding. And um, he was married to Claudia Schiffer, so I think that was why he was on my radar. <laughs> and, um, and anyway, Matthew called me and invited me to work on Kingsman, which is, you know, at the core, uh, a very, very British story. And that was loads of fun. Um, one of the reasons why I agreed to do it is um, also because he had this partnership in place with Mr. Porter, and he asked me if I would design the costumes and then at the same time design a range of men's suits based on the costumes, kind of a costume to collection thing, if you will. And that yeah. was super intriguing to me to be invited into the merchandising part of being a costume designer. You know, being a costume designer, it's very interesting. We are work for hire. We don't own our intellectual property. So, for instance, mm. 
if I was to design, you know, all my colleagues that work on these big superhero movies, when they design those superhero costumes and they end up on like everything from becoming Halloween costumes to um, toys to lunch boxes to, you know, all, all that merchandising, the costume designers, unfortunately, um, because we're work for hire, don't see any of that, um, not only in financial return, but in credit. And I, uh, which is kind of the reason why I've stayed away from those big genre um, films is because they are so built around marketing. And for me, that just, because I'm not cut as a costume designer invited into that equation, I have no interest in becoming part of that creative conversation because I feel like as a work for hire, we're just not valued in that way. So for me personally, I admire all my friends that do it. I've been lucky mm. enough that I've had these other outlets to keep me financially buoyant that I haven't had to rely on those films as they become more and more popular. But when Matthew mm. invited me to work on Kingsman, I saw that as a real opportunity to be invited into that merchandising. And Matthew offered me a piece of that merchandising experiment of the costumed collection. And I just felt mm. like it was a really interesting experiment for me to try and, and to see if that door could be open now with um, e-commerce and with the fact that there's a de- democratization. I don't know how to say it. I'm tongue-twisting. But, <laughs> but the internet democratizes, it democratizes everything, yeah. right? So everybody yeah. has access <laughs> and um, so that was a really um, wonderful experiment to be invited into. And then I met um, Toby Bateman, who's the who was the buying director and one of the top the top man over there at Mr. Porter, who's just fantastic. And the whole team at Mr. Porter mm-hmm. had such a great time, and it was really interesting to me of how it informed my design process. Um, and that has gone on. So I, then I went on to do Kingsman 2, also shot in England. We also shot a movie Madonna directed, WE, about the Duke and Duchess of Windsor in England. So I spent quite a lot of time there. And, you know, these days more and more films are being made in, in London. Um, also, Marnie, the, the opera I designed, opened mm-hmm. at the ENO. So I've had extended periods and let alone years of doing music videos and photo shoots. And, you know, I mean, I recently this past year, I mean, just, you know, I did a Mac campaign. We shot that in London. So I've had a lot of opportunity to work in England and, and really keep these like relationships. Some of my friendships like yourself um, with mm. my friends and my, you know what though? I have to say, you're one of you're one of us. <laughs> <laughs> thank we you so lo- much. We love I love you. Oh, well, I love you too, and we I love you. And you're one of us. <laughs> thank you. I'm going to take that. I I um, I might. I I love some beans on toast. I don't know if I can go as far as Marmite, but I'm trying. <laughs> I know you like a Yorkshire pudding as well. I you? love a Yorkshire pudding. Who doesn't? <laughs> so you know. That's the best way to learn about a culture through their food. Actually, I I love London. You know, all these years when I come back there, I always seem to get a place in the West End, and um, it just feels like home. 
And I have yeah. some of my nearest and dearest friends there. I've godsons down in Hove. And, um, mm. you know, I have a lot of friends that live down in Brighton and Hove, people that have moved outside the city. Um, and, you know, I just love it. I just feel super comfortable at home. If I could afford it, I would absolutely have a place in England as well. Talking about the movie side of things, because I know, obviously, you've now worked on so many movies, haven't you? I didn't actually count them. Have you counted them? No, no, no. I mean, you know, it's only like conversations like this when I'm forced to look back. Do I go, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's a lot. You know, I'm so, you know, I think I learned a lot of this from Madonna, but I'm just super forward moving and and just I I don't have a tendency to look back. But, yes, it feels like a decent body of work. I mean, maybe it's time Mm. to take a vacation. Because one of the things that's interesting is that I know you've done quite a lot of collaborations with designers as well, because you did the Iconoclast project with Muture, which was the, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was um, to create installations for the branch flagship stores that right in London and Beijing. And also you made a short fashion film, which was called Passages. But then you've also collaborated with your friend, Alessandro, is it Alessandro Michelle? Is that how you say Michele. 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 Alejandro Michele from Gucci. And he commissioned you to create content for a special magazine issue that he was editing. And then also you've done so many other collaborations too. But then it's interesting that you then got to collaborate with another designer on his films, Tom Ford, which it's taking, it's almost like combining your skills all in one, isn't it? Sort of fashion going into film all at the same time. I have to say, Single Man was the most stylish film I've ever seen in my life. And I just was so blown away by it. And everything that you did in it was so incredible. Um, What was it like working on that? Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. I mean, I think the thing that makes it so stylish is that it's not just a veneer there's so much emotion behind that story and so much meaning that how beautiful that film is to look at which is a total testament to Tom Ford and his aesthetics and his vision and combined with the emotional content of that story I think makes it achingly beautiful, heartbreakingly beautiful, which is, I think, why so many people have connected to it, why I connected to it. I mean, I met Tom in the late 90s through Madonna in London, actually, at a crazy (laughs) dinner, I'll never forget, with Lee McQueen and all these um, wonderful people. (laughs) We just had this wild dinner at Blake's years ago. And Tom and Richard, I met them both at the same time, Tom's husband. Richard at that time was the uh, editor-in-chief of Vogue Paris, in Paris. Mm -hmm. And Richard commissioned me to do a couple projects for them. So I got to know him. And then Richard and Tom are always really supportive. I was a huge fan of his work as creative director at Gucci and Yves Saint Laurent. When we did the movie, he had only launched the men's collection. But Tom, you know, when he left Gucci Group, there had been all these things in the press that he was going to direct a film. And I remember think, reading about it and and being not surprised and imagining that that would be a natural evolution for him and his creativity. He had emailed me, I have something I want to talk to you about, and I was hoping it was a movie. And he asked me if I would work on a single man with him 
are on a film with him. And, um, you know, basically like Tom could have asked me to do anything and I would have done it. I mean, there are very few instances that I wouldn't do a film with like not reading the script, but I trusted Mm. Tom's sensibilities and, uh, so much, but I did get to read the script and I was so excited to read the script because I had no idea what, um, kind of film he wanted to make and I not knowing Tom really well but knowing him socially I was super curious to see what his choice would be for his first film because it says so much about a director and I kind of assumed it would be something flashy and I don't know I don't know why but um and then when I read the script I was so incredibly blown away by the story and that not only that, but that this was the film that Tom was choosing to make kind of underscored already like all the things that I adored about Tom and that there's just such insight and depth. I thought to his kind of his sensibility, his heart and, and what he was interested in. So I was like, of course. And you know, the thing I would say about Tom is that, We had so much fun making that movie. He usually saved our meetings for the end of the day. You know, the work of a director, there's so many aspects to filmmaking that they're in charge of, right? The the set, the camera, the actors, the overall vision. So they are really, really, really busy. So, you know, during the prep... We spent um, all our meetings were at the end of the day, and we had an, a natural rapport because we knew each other. And I believe I was pretty much the only person on that film besides his assistant who had known him before. I'd never worked with him before. So we we just had a blast. And, you know, Tom built a career on, you know, not only he's a great designer, but a great creative director on communicating his aesthetics to teams of people. So he's very adept at being able to express himself aesthetically, which is so far and beyond most directors. Most directors don't have that vernacular, like funny enough. I mean, most directors are intimidated about having that conversation because they don't necessarily have the language to speak about specific things about costumes, like color, shape, silhouette, texture. So what Tom had going for him already is that he already had that language. However, building a collection and costuming a film are two extremely different things. There are commonalities for sure. And Tom was really, really collaborative and he really was allowed me, you know, we had like any director, you know, we had many conversations about the story and about the characters and what, you know, he was trying to express with um, certain scenes or certain events in the story and really just let me get on with it. I think the best thing that he was able to do is he made available his factory in Italy for to have the suits made. So, and a wonderful man who has been working at his atelier for years named David Bamber, who's a very good friend of mine now, David, um, who usually works on special projects with Tom, David would go to Italy. So I, we were having these suits made for Colin first character and David would go to Italy. He went to Italy to help see those suits through and they were based on vintage silhouettes from the sixties. So it was just, it was a great experience. It's so much fun. 
and also it's a film that I really, it just had its 10 year anniversary, believe it or not. And it really, yeah, I know it's crazy. And it's really stands the test of time. I watch it again this past year and I'm Mm. so proud of it. It's remains one of my most proud achievements. And I loved working with Tom. And then we went on to do uh, nocturnal animals. I'm just waiting for Tom to do another film. He's just very busy. <laughs> He's very busy being a global superstar um, with his mm-hmm. women's, men's, and cosmetics and sunglasses. It's just incredible. He is he is unlike any creative out there. Yeah, yeah. I also wanted to ask you about Hedwig and the Angry Inch mm. because obviously the costumes in that are incredible, and the film was made in 2001, wasn't it? And you worked on the costumes for the film. But then in 2014, it was made into a Broadway musical, and you worked on that too. Was that your first big theatre Broadway production that you worked on? It was. It was. Yeah. I mean, it was also um, a very special, a, a special experience in that, it started as an off-Broadway play in New York, which I had seen, and then became in, uh, we worked on it in 2000, it came out in 2001, um, this small little indie movie that won the Audience Award at Sundance, and it was an incredible experience for me. I mean, the story, meeting John Cameron Mitchell and Stephen Trask, who wrote the story and the music, it was, I felt like my personal Rocky Horror Picture Show because it was definitely a similar theme about, you know, the themes are similar about being true to yourself and using kind of the outrageousness of costume, hair and makeup and as a, as almost a metaphor for what's inside or what's masking what's inside and this theme of like being an outsider misfit, I think we all relate to and, and, and coming to be your true self. And I, you know, it's an incredible piece. It started as an off Broadway show, which I didn't design. And then having done the movie and then flash forward, I mean, 14 years later to be able to re, you know, visit it <laughs> on Broadway. Uh, was incredible and we had a really amazing run and that experience for me working on Broadway was like a full circle experience for me as in terms of my fantasy as a kid of working in theater was so thrilling and there um it was such and on that um in working on the Broadway show, I met Michael Mayer, who directed the Broadway show, and I went on to do another Broadway musical with him, um, Head Over Heels, um, and then yeah. Marnie, the opera. So I, I, and I, we have another Broadway musical that we're working on together in the future. So I felt like I got to meet like another kind of like soul connection. Michael Mayer's incredible mm-hmm. director, and my friend David Binder, who produced the Broadway production. I would also produce the off-Broadway play, and I never knew him before. And David's incredible producer. He's now he's the artistic director at BAM in New York, and you know that film, um, along with um, John Cameron Mitchell and Stephen Trask and Mike Potter, the wig designer. These, these people are become my family over the years, and then yeah. to have the experience um, of being on Broadway, and not only being on Broadway, but being successful on Broadway, 
uh, having an amazing mm-hmm. run. And then we did a, a tour it was great. I got a Tony nomination, which is something I didn't even imagine could ever happen. Um, mm-hmm. and so it was just, uh, really great. And again, like, you know, this late in my career opening new possibilities for theater in the future and which I really love. And theater is so interesting because unlike film, costume designers own their intellectual property. So when right. you work in theater, get paid a, a nominal creative salary. Like it's a little more than a stipend, but then you are vested in the outcome. You kind of invest in the show and then we get uh, costume centers, get royalties like everyone else who owns their design. And that's been really, really interesting and empowering as a designer. And really I'm super uh, grateful to have that experience. And I, I love the, the mix, like, you know, it just kind of came at a perfect time, like to, uh, and, um, yeah, it's been, it's been amazing. Cause, um, obviously I didn't get to see Hedwig in, on theater, um, in the theater, but I did get to see Marnie, the opera. And I have to say, I was, and I sound like a complete sycophancy, but I was so blown away by visually how you'd made it look. It's the most colourful and stylish opera I've ever been to oh, in my life. You. It was so amazing. And I have to say, I felt very privileged to be able to go and see, obviously I went to the preview, didn't I, with, um, that you, that they did. And, um, it was so amazing. But was Marnie after Hedvig, wasn't it? And yeah. then you did Head Over Heels. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Head Over Heels, I find interesting as well, because, the go it's music from the Go-Go's, isn't it? Yeah. We've, we've not had it here in the UK, so I had to do a bit of research about this. But music from the Go-Go's, but based on a story from the 16th century, exactly. um, the Countess of Pembroke's Arcadia. How did that marry together? It was a mashup. (laughs) So great. It was really, really, really fun. It's actually won, it won an award for like the most diversity inclusive theater production of its kind because they're, um, they're like, it was a mixture of, it's like a a modern fairy tale really set to the go-go's music. Mm -hmm. It was just such fun and very joyful production. And again, about, you know, that's a great thing about theater. There's always these like ability to, uh, of the human connection in theater that I love so much. Not only the immediacy of being in the theater, but oftentimes the best theater is when it has the, it resonates in some very human experience. And that, um, that place is just a comedy and a musical and so much fun, but underline it where, you know, everything from, you know, gender identity to sexual, sexual orientation, um, big, really big modern themes that really, um, had a real wonderful quality to them. And hopefully the play will come back. I know that, that there is rumor that Hedwig will come to the West End at some point. Uh, I oh think, God, I hope yeah, so. so I hope that happens. I mean, um, yeah, I'm, I'm holding out for that, so we'll see. <laughs> so where did you go with the costumes head over heels, just interestingly enough? Because I never, obviously I didn't see it. So was it modern or did you – so obviously the Go-Go's was the 80s and then the stories from the 16th century. So yeah, it was a mashup. come in and – it was mash-up. a mashup. Mm-hmm. So it, everything was designed and made. Um, it was There's nothing modern about it other than – 
Um, I think like at one point, my friends at Gucci loaned me a purse for one of the characters. It was kind of like the inspiration for me was kind of like a Carvage, like a Derek Jarman film where it's set in, in period. And yet we use some modern things that were kind of out of incongruous with the story. But, um, yeah, it was, you know, every kind of project for me, like theater or film is an opportunity to learn something. So in that, I, my concept was not to use any brocades, jacquards, or traditional fabrics from the 16th century and and start with everything flat and do trompe l'oeil. So I hired this incredible textile artist and all everything was painted on the costumes, but they were traditional, pretty traditional silhouettes that the um, applications were more modern techniques. And we did a lot of painting that felt and, and a lot of embellishment because um, I wanted them to have a, they were, Entertain. I mean, I, I, I'm very, very proud of those costumes. I thought they were some of my, my favorite work I've ever done. Three Oscar nominations, the two BAFTA nominations you have, and plus loads of others, because I know there's lots of other ones in the US especially. What was it like when you got nominated for an Oscar? How did you feel? I mean, it must be the most bizarre thing where you're a bit like, Shit, I've been nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> it, it is like I I can't tell you. First of all, it's like the first time I was nominated for an Oscar, I was gobsmacked. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. I think someone woke. I mean, was it all walk three the times. Line? They, yeah, it was walk the line. All three times, people yeah. actually I think woke me up because they they're announced really early in California time. But um, yeah, it's an it's amazing. It's like the ultimate encouragement and um thrilling and wonderful to be to be acknowledged by your peers i mean then you're nominated by other costume designers so in at least with the oscar you know when you when you nominate because you vote twice as a member of ampus which is the academy of motion picture so as a costume designer we nominate other costume designers and the best film and then Everything gets announced from the nominations and then everyone votes on everything. So it is like, you know, the ultimate to be nominated <clears throat> and thrilling and like something that you, I never allowed myself to dream about. And I was really, really, really surprised all three times. Um, very, very surprised. And it's great. You know, the best thing about it is it's kind of insurance that you'll get to work again, which is a wonderful feeling. <laughs> and it's great for all the people that love you and have supported you all the years. It's really like really the, the, the overriding experiences. It's really not about me, but it's about like my parents. It's about like my, you know, sixth grade teacher. It's about all the people who work with me in my department realizing the vision. It's about... Anybody I've come in contact with, like people really are so happy, genuinely happy and feel a part of it that it's really not a me situation as it mu as much as it is an us situation. So that's mm. the best part. Because mm. I have to say, for me, you should have won them all. Oh, <laughs> bless you. You, know you and my dad. You know, saying, you know what I was saying earlier about my obsession with Hollywood? I think <laughs> the Oscars is part of that obsession. Sure. Because, again, it seems so, like, you know, unattainable to ever be close to anything to yeah. do with the Oscars. So, and obviously, as you know, my friend Sean Ellis 
has also been nominated. We were nominated, nominated together. The same year, yeah. yeah. And of course, I was just like blown away that two friends of mine have been nominated for Oscars. You're just like, this is insane. And you kind of want everybody to win. I guess awards, it's, it's very difficult, isn't it? Because it's a bunch of people deciding that somebody wins. And I guess really everybody is the winner when it gets to that final five. Well, I'll tell, many it is. I will tell you, having never won, um, <clears throat> you definitely, because, and I don't know any different, but you definitely do feel like you win as a nominee, like just being there. I mean, I have never been invested in the outcome. I just love to be there for the, you know, for the whole experience. It's so much yeah. fun. And you also get to, you're kind of on this like gauntlet with other, with your peers. So for instance, once upon a time in Hollywood, you know, Sandy Powell and Christopher Peterson, who did The Irishman, Myas um, Rubio, who did Jojo Rabbit, mm-hmm. Mark Bridges for The Joker, and Jacqueline Duran, who won for um, Little Women, we all were hanging out together at all, you know, at, the, at BAFTA, at the Costume Designer Guild Awards. And it's just so much fun. We did a lot of Q&A panels together. And it's just, it's kind of like being a hairstylist. Like, you don't really have the opportunity necessarily to hang out with other hairstylists because you do the same thing. So when you have the opportunity to, that you're being celebrated together, it's so much fun. We had a really, really good time. I mean, the nerve wracking part is when you're sitting there in the room. I had never written a speech, an accepted speech, like for WE and for Walk the Line. I just, I I just didn't. I knew I wasn't going to win. I felt out of respect for the people who work so hard with me and my team and the incredible experience of working on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is its own unique experience for me. And you know, the fact that so many people were nominated from our production designer to our actors mm-hmm. to Quentin to our producers that I felt like the right thing to do was to write a speech. <laughs> oh my God. So stressful. Like, and that was like, it's kind of like writing your obituary. It's like, how can you keep it short and, and, and impactful and acknowledge everyone, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm really glad that I had the exercise of writing that speech because it really, it just kind of calmed my nerves a bit, I think, because you want to um, be able to be prepared. Someone was saying to me the other day, you should, you should post that speech. And I think I might. I think I should. I think I should post oh, it on my Instagram. Not? Yeah. Maybe yeah. I will. Is it kind of cool? No like reason I can't, like, thank everyone, you know. I mean, I definitely... <laughs> like you know acknowledge all the people that got me there so maybe i will do that yeah you know i just saw a video actually the other day about a winter she's doing i can't remember what it was it's on vogue.com and she's talking about the fil- films and did you see that have you heard i did she, Derek glassberg like, sent it to me Derek glassberg sent it to me and i was like oh my god um but she was yeah. right in the end right she she uh yeah she was right in the end and i actually sent it to jacqueline duran that um the costume designer from little women who she also talks about yeah so yeah no i saw that i said pretty great to get a shout out from anna wintour yeah <laughs> anyone that's listening by the way Anna Wintour said her two films for 2019 that should be celebrated for costume was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Ariane and then Little Women with, uh, is it Jacqueline Durant? Yeah, Jacqueline Durant. Yeah, Jacqueline Durant. The the fashion goddess has spoken. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, thank you, Anna. (laughs) 
your dress at the Oscars yeah. was redesigned, wasn't it, by your good friend Jeremy Scott, it who was. I know as well through, yeah. I love the fact that you did that. It's so brilliant. When I got my first Oscar nomination, Jeremy called me up completely sobbing, like so happy (laughs) for me. And the same with my second nomination. I mean, he literally, like, he took those nominations, like, in such an incredible way. Like, I I told my mom and dad, I'm like, you you have nothing on Jeremy. Jeremy is, like, far (laughs) beyond more excited than anyone. And so when we were in the middle of kind of this Oscar campaign, Jeremy's like, you're going to be nominated and I want to make your dress. So that was like October, you know, or something way too early for me to ever, you know, and I was like, of course, when it actually happened and the nomination came in, which was mid-January, and Jeremy had the brilliant idea of recycling my last Oscar dress. So we took my Oscar dress from 2012 for WE and we Mm. basically cut it up and upcycled it and repurposed it. Amazing. And that was thrilling. And on top of that, Moschino on, on behalf of me made a donation on my behalf to the new standard Institute, which is Mm -hmm. uh, a nonprofit that's set up for, their mission is creating standards for the fashion industry and sustainability supply chains and, uh, and, and creating data around that. Because the, the issue is sustainability is really kind of like a marketing term at this point. And that, um, also a lot of, and this is not just luxury fashion. We're talking about the apparel industry, denim industry, which is one of the leading polluters and most egregious mm-hmm. industries. So we have to all take steps. So that gave yeah. me um, a platform to talk about. Um, lucky for me, I was able to get some press um, <laughs> about it um, to help, you know, and it just, you know, it, again, it takes something like an Oscar nomination, which is seemingly very promotional and about me, but taking that moment to be able to talk about an industry I love so much, fashion, and um and a beautiful dress because we want to celebrate you know wonderful dresses at the oscars i love seeing what people choose to kind of take an otherwise promotional event and add some purpose to it and it just kind of amazing yeah it just makes it easier to talk about yourself when you are able to push a message forward that other people can relate to yeah totally well, Ariane, listen, I'm so aware of your time, and I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> I'm going to wrap it up there, because I, you've told me so much already, and we've had such a great chat, and I know that you need to run very soon. Have we got time to quickly do the rapid quickfire questions? Sure. Yeah. You can answer these one word, a sentence, however you feel. I'll leave it up to you. This is just a bit of fun as well, so answer them as you wish. First off, what's your guilty pleasure? Talent shows and TV. Oh, okay. Any particular one? Uh, I love The Voice. I love The Voice. (laughs) Um, I used to love all those pop idol, American idol shows, but The Voice is, I think, my favorite. It's definitely guilty pleasure. Great. <laughs> Who would you like to play you in a film of your life? Oh, jeez. Marion Cotillard. 
I love her. Rachel Vice. Rachel Vice. Yeah. I mean, I'm flattering myself, right? I think Rachel Vice. I'm flattering myself. Rachel Vice would be cool. What's your favorite food? Everything, unfortunately. Um, I love cucumbers, cucumbers and hummus. I love Middle Eastern food. Oh, wait, um, Yorkshire pudding. Yorkshire puddings, hello. <laughs> hello, savory or sweet. Yeah. If you could be invisible for a day, what would you do and where would you go? I think I'd hang out uh, with my nephews, but they wouldn't mm-hmm. know I'd be there. I'd be a spy on the wall. Right. That's interesting. See what they actually get up to. Yeah, yeah. And just like, mm-hmm. you know, I just love and adore them so much. And, and just to see kind of what they're interested in and what they're interested mm-hmm. in and, and, and the conversations they have without adults around. Yeah. Can you pick a favorite film that you've worked on or is that an impossible question? It's so hard to say because there's so many aspects of the films that are my favorite. Like, you know, it's the either the the crew, the the what it's about, the people I'm working for, the location, um, or do you mean like the outcome, like the way the film, the the finished product? Possibly the out. I'd say the outcome, like yeah, when you means- actually see it, is the one that you go. Or is again, is it hard to pick? I think Hedwig and the Angry Inch would be my most favorite movie in terms of the outcome and in terms of the the. The, the humanity in the, in the story. And it also is just scrap. It's just scrappy and full of heart and has able to touch so many people in so many different ways. Mm. Okay. Amazing. What's your best feature or personality trait? Would you say? <laughs> my best. Oh my God. I don't know. My best feature personality. I guess curiosity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you meat vegan or veggie? So I will. I have like meat two days a week, and the rest of the time I'm vegan or vegetarian. What chore do you hate doing? Hoovering. Hoovering. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like hoovering. I oh, don't mind hoovering. We should be roommates. I find it quite. I find it quite satisfying picking, like seeing it getting picked up. Well, you can come to my place. Okay. I like washing up. (laughs) Oh, good. See, good swap. (laughs) No, I can't live anywhere without a dishwasher. Would you rather binge watch a TV series or watch a film? A film. Yeah. And final question. What is next for Ariane Phillips? Oh my God. I have, so I've taken a year off from film. I have two films I'm working on back to back this year. Mm. And then straight after that, I'm designing the Devil Wears Prada Broadway musical. Elton John (gasps) has written all the music and it's being produced by Elton John and David Furnish. Do they know who's starring in it yet or you're not allowed to say? And the cast is mostly um, Broadway stars. Oh, my God, what an amazing thing to work on. Yeah, it'll be fun. I'm really excited. That sounds good. And that's Broadway. Yeah, Broadway. It's a Broadway musical. Mm. Oh, God, I hope they bring it here. Oh, definitely. Me too. Me too. If we get to bring the Devil Wears Prada to London, to the West End, then we'll know it'll be successful. So we, we intend for it to be a smash success.
Yeah. But you know what as well, can I tell you, I imagine Hedwig and the angry, angry Inch being huge here in the West End. Yeah, I think the challenge with Hedwig is it's basically a one-person show, so it's having the right person to play the part. It's just really hard to cast. Right, right. Who played it in New York? It was Neil Patrick Harris. We had a few people. Neil Patrick Harris, Andrew Reynolds, John Cameron Mitchell did a stint, Michael C. Hall, and Darren Chris. So all Mm. great, great, great talent. Yeah, amazing. Oh, can I ask you one last question? Sure thing. What was it like working with Quentin Tarantino? Because <laughs> uh, I think if I don't ask that question, people are going to be like, why did you ask that question? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I understand. There's a, a lot, that's a question a lot of people want to know about. It was incredible. I mean, it was intimidating and thrilling and just, it was, it was really, you know, Quentin has been on my bucket list for many years as a director I've wanted to work with. And I never really imagined, kind of like Madonna, like I never really imagined I would have that opportunity. And um, it was really great. Um, the way that Quentin, Quentin's passion for filmmaking is unmatched. Uh, there's no one quite like him. His knowledge is far reaching and the way he makes a film nowadays is nobody makes films like that anymore. First of all, he shoots real film. It's not digital. He right. um, projects the dailies, which are the rushes of the film once a week. We'd all get together and he would show the dailies and we'd have beer and pizza and it was like a party. And even before oh, wow. we started shooting, he owns a theater here in LA called the new Beverly It's like an art house theater. And even before we started shooting the film during prep, which is about three months period, he would have movie night once a week where he invited everyone to come and he would screen films in 35 millimeter prints of films that were shot in L.A., around 1969 and that was so much fun again we'd have like drinks and pizza and we'd have movie night and you know so there's actually he was having the theater renovated at the time so they um all the theater seats were out so they put couches in for all of us and there'd be like 50 people that would show up and it was so much fun Quentin would get up in the middle and like whisper in my ear like I love what you know Robert Conrad's wearing or you know oh (laughs) check out like this on this person and it was just really really fun and he has a very um, unusual uh, loyalty with his crew so a lot of the people that uh, worked on the film have worked with him on most of his films which is yeah. highly unusual in a freelance culture people really mm. just make it happen and the set is really different um, not only um, do we not have monitors um, which I'd never been on a set without monitors I think even in the be- beginning of my career they had monitors so there's mm. no monitors and no cell phones allowed on set so what that did, it, you know, when, when I heard that, I kind of panicked. But what it does is it engages everyone on set to really pay attention to what's happening. And Quentin never leaves this, the camera. So he, you, you would never see him hanging out at craft service or, you know, fraternizing here or there. He's so focused. And in between takes, they play, he plays music and every day there's a different theme. We'll have like a disco day or a folk day or, and there's this, it's just a joyful place to be very focused. And, you know, it, it was fantastic. Quentin took me a while to feel comfortable because, um, 
He is so smart. He's whip smart. And his ability <laughs> for memory recall is just daunting. So it right. took me a while to kind of get my sea legs. Um, and once I did, you know, Quentin is a lot about trust. So it took a while for us to kind of get used to each other. Um, not in a negative way. It was just about spending time together. And, mm. um, you know, I... Because he has his person, didn't he, that he always worked with? Actually, with costume designers and production designers, he's worked with a lot of different people. With the right. other departments, um, he, he has more consistency. His costume designer that he worked with on Hateful Eight, which was a movie before, is a friend of mine. Her name's Courtney Hoffman, and she's gone on to be a director. So she right. um, was really supportive. She, I was one of the people she recommended to Quentin. Um, so it was just, it was amazing. And, you know, I think my only disappointment is that he's really, you know, I don't know if you know this about him, but he's, he said publicly um, over and over again, he's only going to make 10 films. And Once Upon a Time mm -hmm. in Hollywood was his ninth. So he's really yeah. going to make one more film. Um, and I asked him about that and he said, yeah, it's true. And he said that um, what he really wants, you know, he said, I want to do a lot of other things. He wants to, he's written a lot of plays. He wants to direct plays. So, you know, he might want to direct something episodic for TV. So it doesn't mean he's going to stop directing. He just wants to, you know, to try other things. I really admire that in him. He's yeah. so prolific and he's, he's such a, he's such a great guy. And, um, mm. I, I feel really lucky that I got in by the hair of my chinny chin chin on his ninth film. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And what a brilliant job as well that you did. Cause it's Thank kind you. of like, Again, visually, an amazing film. You know what I mean. And uh, and you got a shout out from Brad Pitt at the <laughs> That wasn't good. bad. That wasn't bad. <laughs> Which is kind of. Brilliant. Oh, I paid him. Well, for Arianne, that. <laughs> just kidding. We are done, and I feel bad because I feel like I've kept you longer than we. No, it's we all right. To. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. And it, I also just feel like you know getting your questions like I'm learning about you too so this is giving us <laughs> another level of our friendship so thank you so exactly. much I just want to say a huge thank you to Ariane and thank you the listener for joining me you can follow Ariane and her career on her Instagram account at Ariane Phillips that's two N's in Ariane and two L's in Phillips you can check out all Ariane's work in the film she's worked on and all of her fashion work, plus all her new work coming up, which includes Olivia Wilde's new film, which has now been scheduled to release this year, starring Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, Chris Pine and Gemma Chan. And also the new Devil Wears Prada musical, which will release in the US later this year. Thanks for listening again and remember to go and subscribe to listen to all new episodes.